Hello, and welcome to another Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Sizer. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. I'm Anand Chandrasekhar, founder and CEO of Ira Technologies Incorporated. Great to be with you guys. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for uh, uh, making the time. And uh, uh, yeah, we I, I have the, the most obvious questions for you at first, which is... Uh, tell us all about your company, what it, what it does and, 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 and why you started it. Yeah. Um, great question. Uh, I get that a lot. <laughs> well, it doesn't uh, say it in the name. See, that's the, th- that's a, you know, if it were, yeah, it's uh, not like uh, Intel sat over her bias. Sat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> some, some, some technology company <clears throat> names are just right on the money, you know, right on the, the thing. Right. So, so, uh, you, you know, you've got a, you've got a more uh, mysterious name. So. We have a mysterious name. Yes. Uh, Ira Technologies is a company that I founded together with my co-founder Ravi Gopalan and two academic researchers, Pramod Vishwanath and Sriram Kandan. And at the highest level, our mission is effectively to use machine learning to reimagine the way wireless is conducted, right? Now, let me back up, right? Why did we embark on this journey? The idea behind this came up at, um, over a lunch when Ravi and I were um, uh, chatting over lunch in one of the many hole in the walls in Silicon Valley. And it started with really a what if question. And the what if question was this, right? If you think about speech recognition and image recognition today, speech recognition and image recognition today are done by machine learning based uh, algorithms, right? If you wind the clock back 15 years ago, how was speech recognition and um, image recognition done? It was being done using mathematical models, right? And yet today, nobody in their right mind would use a mathematical model to do that because machine learning is so much more efficient. So the question we were really grappling with, this is around circa December 2018, was what if you applied machine learning to wireless, would you get anywhere close to the kind of gains that we've been able to get in the field of speech and imaging? And that kind of triggered our curiosity. And we started to do uh, a lot of legwork on our own, go back to grad school, if you will, read a lot of papers and seeing we couldn't have been the only people in the world who came up with this idea. And if there was a validity to this, there must be active research underway in uh, academia. And lo and behold, it was. It was a very rich vein of research in the academic community. And that's how we met Pramod and Sriram. Pramod used to be uh, um, at Flareon and was a co-inventor of Flash OFDM. OFDM, by the way, is the modulation technology that is uh, the building block for all wireless today, Wi-Fi right. and cellular. And Sriram, uh, and he's promoted now at Princeton as a tenured um, uh, professor. Sriram is at the University of Washington. And Sriram is the person who actually was the instigator for pushing uh, Pramod and his lab to think about machine learning uh, and applying it to wireless, right? And their work inspired us. And so sometime around the summer of 2019, we decided, yeah, there's something here. We spent the bulk of 2019 sort of kicking the idea around, doing our own legwork, looking at it in enough detail. And we concluded there is something really there, right? And around the tail end of the year, uh, 2019, we incorporated and started to look for funds, right? So what do we do? Our premise as a company is built on two pillars, right? Pillar one is the one I've been talking about, which is machine learning has fundamental benefits to offer um, in the wireless domain. And I can talk about specific examples as we get down this, right? Pillar two 
is uh, anytime you want to inject innovation, the environment into which you want to inject that innovation has to be ready to be able to incorporate that innovation um, and be able to move with it, right? And so pillar two, we really are banking on ORAN, Open Radio Access Network, uh, ORAN Alliance, right? We believe ORAN is as fundamental to the radio access network infrastructure world as the PC was to computing uh, between, nine, in 19, between 1980 and 2000. And the reason I say that is, that, again, if I wind the clock back to the year uh, 1982, that's when the PC arrived, right? It's not as though computing didn't exist. IBM sold computing, digital sold computing, um, Wang, Data General, several computing uh, companies existed, but they were vertical in nature, right? They made their own CPU, they made their own systems, they made their own operating systems, they made their own applications, and they made their uh, and they sold it themselves, right? And the application, right. like a database management system designed on IBM, did not run on digital, right? And if that right. sounds familiar, it should because that's the world of the RAN infrastructure network today. Um, Ericsson's, Nokia's, Samsung's, Huawei's, they make their own radio, they make their own base station, they make their own core, and you can't really mix and match. And so ORAN is um, a movement effectively born to allow that mixing and matching um, at a high level, albeit to bring the cost structure down, right? But I'll actually argue a bigger benefit than bringing the cost structure down is actually unleashing of innovation. And that's precisely what happened in the computing industry. Um, with the horizontalization of the computing industry, innovation flourished, right? Um, not least because you got computing improving every two years by almost a doubling, but the unleashing of innovation in software, I will argue, was bigger than what actually happened in hardware. And I believe, and we believe as a company, the same thing is going to happen on the RAN infrastructure with ORAN. And so the two tenets that uh, foundational building blocks that IRA is built on is ORAN and machine learning. And we believe by building on top of an ORAN infrastructure, applying machine learning, we can actually accelerate innovation into the RAN infrastructure environment and deliver real benefits. So for example, one of the things we do is apply it to the uh, very fundamental building block in the, uh, in the base station, which is beamforming. And, um, and you've probably heard this multiple times before, but with what we're able to do, we can improve spectral efficiency by uh, over two times, right? And that's what we demonstrated at MWC in 2023 in partnership uh, with some of our partners. Um, and the other thing we're able to do is if you can't get into that level of depth, if you're staying at a much higher level of the, uh, of the networking stack, we're able to apply machine learning to effectively bring in principles that have been used in computing over the last 20 years and bring those same kind of principles in. And when a radio antenna is not in use, power it down so you can actually save energy. And why does that matter? Because effectively the radio network consumes the bulk of the energy consumption in a RAN uh, infrastructure. So probably went into a little more detail than perhaps you wanted me to get into in that, in that answer, but uh, that's a bit about what we do. This is oh, the, sorry, uh, go ahead, the, it, If this were an elevator pitch, we would be at a let's the two hundred story building. So it's 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 a little. My apologies for that. We're no, on the rooftop no, bar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just curious to hear more about um, our app because that was included in the um, you know in the announcement around your demo at MWC, and also if you could tell us more about um, the energy efficiency component and and how that works. Sure, absolutely. 
So the R app that we demonstrated, uh, we did that in partnership with Juniper, um, and we did that in partnership with Amazon, and we demonstrated in the um, Amazon's, uh, what they call the RAN Innovation Center, right? And uh, I'll back up a little bit to a 10,000 foot level and then go, go deeper into it, right? Why did we even do the R app, right? Uh, if you think about it, um, the worldwide consumption of energy from a telco standpoint is in the range of about 2 to 3%. So telcos consume about 2 to 3% of worldwide energy. Out of that, about 80% of their energy consumption is consumed by the RAN in the, in the telco. Out of that, about 60% is consumed by the radio uh, side of it, antennas, et cetera, right? And when you go from 4G to 5G, the radio power actually goes up quite dramatically, and that percent consumption on the radio network side is going to increase. So what we were looking at, and, and today, the way those radios are managed is not very smart, right? Um, if they're managed, they're managed in a fairly um, um, simple manner. Uh, for example, between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. in the morning, the radios might be powered off, right? Uh, that's one mechanism that's used. Another mechanism that's used is a threshold-based management. If there's a certain number of users on a network hitting a particular cell site, the radios are kept on. If it hits below that, then perhaps they turn off uh, one of the capacity bands, right? Those are fairly rudimentary approaches to managing, and you can actually do a much more sophisticated approach to managing uh, those radios. So what we wound up doing is we said, okay, let's take the data that's available at a, at a, at a high level um, in terms of uh, what's available to us at what's called at that application layer. And using that information, we're able to learn um, what the users are doing. Are they indoors? Are they outdoors? Are they traveling in a car? So in other words, is it high mobility versus relatively low mobility or is it stationary, right? Turn, and, and we call that fingerprinting because our machine learning algorithms are used to fingerprint that. That information is actually important because if a, it turns out we can use the low mobility environments to effectively power off the capacity bands in a radio network and bring the energy consumption down without, this is the trick, without impacting the throughput negatively, right? Because if you th impact throughput negatively, you're not going to be happy. None of the consumers are going to be happy, right? So that's the trick. And so we use machine learning to do that, and that's what we demonstrated. And by doing it in an intelligent way, what we were able to do, in, and we showed two kind of environments in the Amazon area. One of the environments we showed was a rural environment, 25 square kilometers um, with, uh, you know, uh, I think we showed uh, four cell sites, three uh, um, uh, bands each, right? Um, one coverage band, two capacity bands. And we were able to show in that simple kind of an environment, we were able to save energy up to 25%, right? Just by smartly turning bands on and off, right? For and, how many devices or was that demo? Uh, that that was a, an area, not so, many, so much devices. The, the typical number of devices would vary depending on operators okay. um, and where that so you were, so the energy I just sorry you're, you're gonna have a, a slow student here you're, this, this is just dealing with the energy then at the radio tower that's correct. In, in that geography that's okay, correct just the, just looking at the energy of the on the cell sites and across all of their cell sites right okay so for that particular four cell site kind of an environment we we're able to improve the energy consumption and when you analyze that across and typical European operator network, would have about 4,000 to 4,000 such sites. Um, the savings there would be in the range of about $25 million annually if they were to incorporate something like what we did. So very, very significant savings. 
And that was done through an R app um, that basically ran on the Juniper RIC, RIC being the RAN, uh, RAN intelligent controller. And both the RIC and our R app were running and hosted on the Amazon cloud, right? Um, so that's basically that particular demonstration that we had done. Um, huge reception for that. Um, and obviously, energy is front of mind for everybody nowadays, not least because of what's going on in Europe, uh, but also gas prices and everything else. But energy yeah. prices are going to be uh, a front in the forefront for the next several years. Does um, the... the does that feed into um, like a data lake? Do you analyze, uh, yeah. you know, how this is, is working after the fact and then, you know, make future improvements um, and, you know, Correct. to, I guess, so the machine learning keeps learning, <laughs> you know, you can explain yeah. a lot better than I can. Like, like Phil says, I'm a, um, <laughs> just a student here. We're, we're slow <laughs> students. <laughs> I, I, I love the curiosity. I think that's, ex you, you have it exactly right, right? The, the way our, our approach works is we ingest about uh, the more data, the better, because the more data you get, the fidelity actually improves, right? But we can start with as little as two weeks worth of data and then keep learning, right? Um, so we ingest data in, we take that data to initialize our, our, our network, because every operator network is slightly different. So that initialization of uh, initial data set is simply to initialize the network to that particular operator configuration. And then what we do after that is monthly, we kind of do a check and change. So at a very high level, uh, seasons make a big difference, right? Um, winter, uh, trees shed leaves. That makes a difference in how those networks behave, right? Summer, trees are in full bloom, flowers are in full bloom. You have the opposite effect, right? So seasonality clearly makes a difference in terms of how the radios behave and the congestion and on the network. And so it'll alter the patterns a little bit. But we tend to look at the data on a monthly basis and we make changes on a monthly basis, right? Um, and so we capture the seasonality for sure, but we do it at a, a, a fidelity of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, every 30 days, right? Um, so the data lake, there's an initial data lake that we use for, init uh, for initializing our network. And then of course, on a monthly basis, we also capture the data and, and we only make changes if changes are needed, but on a monthly basis, we're capturing data. Right? So this is, so this is really um, passively saving the operators money over time, meaning um, they're, how, how engaged are they having to be? With, like they're not having to adjust user expectations. They're not having to sell this to their, their consumers or their customers. They're just simply installing uh, your machine learning capabilities at the uh, radio or the, the RIC, I guess. Yeah. And um, maintaining that data lake. And basically it's just a computing function that's completely hidden from everybody else. Like if you're, if you're a user on their network, you're not aware of this at all. It doesn't, you don't like go, oh, it's eight o'clock. I can't use, I, I got to wait a second before I connect or anything like that. that. That's exactly right, Phil. This That's the design target for us for this uh, technology we've developed to be completely invisible to the consumer uh, or the mobile user. Um, we do allow the operators, uh, give them parameters, right? So, you know, operators has to have to choose how much of a throughput degradation can they tolerate, right? Um, and, right. you know, yeah. that decides how much, uh, how aggressive we will be in terms of turning off a capacity band on or off, right? 
And so we've tested um, ours with up to 5% throughput degradation. We have not gone beyond that. Um, we don't think any operator would likely go beyond that. They might, but we've kind of tested up to 5%. And uh, at 2%, which is basically saying, I want almost no degradation uh, to my consumers, right? And uh, even, in, even in that environment, we're able to deliver up to 15% reduction in, uh, in uh, energy uh, efficiency. Okay, so um, does so, the does the consideration of um, maintaining the throughput kind of put a cap almost on you know how energy efficient you get? I mean, I know it's a trade off because they want yeah. to you know save money and be more sustainable, but also um, ensure that customers are getting good quality of service. So. Correct. I think the uh, the the it's basically in, in machine learning terms the objective function. Uh, one of the constraints into that objective function is effectively how much throughput degradation is, taught, is, is, uh, is acceptable or not acceptable, right? There may be other constraints you can also add. In fact, we're looking into adding that, which is we can look at modeling the constraint of the uh, reduction in throughput aggregate across the entire consumers, right? Or by certain slices, right? Um, and in certain areas, you may not, for example, in a city center, you may not want to have any degradation Whereas as you move a little further out from the city center, you might be willing to tolerate more degradation. So that's the beauty of our machine learning algorithm. We can sort of fine tune those parameters and, and the algorithm then does its magic in terms of figuring out um, how much can I modulate uh, the bands. I, yeah, I like ahead. the way that you've got, um, I, I like the way that you describe sort of the benefits for the operators and then of course the knock-on effect for, uh, for the customers mm -hmm. because it does sound like it's a, it's a no-brainer in, in a sense. You know, if you have an open RAN network, you can avail yourself of energy savings. Uh, you set the parameters. You maintain the data lake. You keep you keep you kind of keep it hidden from the customer. How are you actually? Uh, so that's how it works. Now, how are you actually selling it to operators? Is is kind of my my next question because I know that sometimes the the benefit of saving energy and making the world a better place. Uh, is is well, it's, it's somewhere on the list, but not not high up in the operator <laughs> yeah. concerns. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I want to make one point before I answer your question. Um, the uh, the particular application we've developed is works on both an ORAN network as well as on a legacy network. Right. There's okay. nothing about what we have developed here that is specific to the ORAN network. All we need is in both legacy networks and in an ORAN network, um, there's a mechanism to uh, feed the data that we would need, which are classic 3GPP-based key performance indicators, right? And, and, and in a legacy network, it's provided through an interface called the element management system. In the ORAN network, it's provided through an interface called the O1 interface. And we take like C of, six of those KPIs, we do our machine learning, and that's how we do the fingerprinting that I described earlier. Right. right. Um, okay. Now, in terms of the benefit and how do we sell this to the operator, um, this has not actually required a lot of selling on our part, in part because the energy increase has become a huge pain point for operators. Um, okay. So so this is not one um, I, I've, I've been obviously in the industry for a long time and have sold difficult technologies. But this particular one appears to be. I'm going to touch, knock on wood here, right? <laughs> appears to be resonating quite nicely 
um, in terms of solving a particular problem for them today, right? Um, and there's uh, what I described so far is just the beginning. We think right. we can actually, doing what we're doing, we actually think we can imp- improve the energy efficiency by as much as 40 to 50%. And at this layer of the stack, we don't think we can push it much more. I think that would be the limit that we can get it to. But um, there's this is resonating nicely. So it, it makes sense to them from the get-go. Um, in, in the fingerprinting users thing, are you, you're fingerprinting devices, right? We're so fingerprinting the cell site. The cell site, okay. Yeah. So we're trying to fingerprint. Uh, for example, I'm in uh, Saratoga right now, right? Mm-hmm. So we're fingerprinting this site of how many of all the users that are hitting the base station, right? Okay. And the KPIs we would see would give us things like aggregate information, like how many users are on that cell site, um, right. what's the average throughput they're seeing, what's the max, what's the min, how many of those users are being able to connect, how many are having difficulty connect. Those would be the KPIs that we're able to get at that level, right? We use those KPIs, and then from that, we extract hidden information. And the hidden information is out of the users that are hitting the Saratoga base station, how many are inside, like me, how many are walking, how many are in a car. So that that characterization of mobility, that's what I'm calling the fingerprinting. But it turns out that's actually a very important fingerprinting to determine, can I actually turn a band on or off? Right. Well, well, that was going to be my next question. Is this like, you know, one, one of the things that people say about mobile all the time is that most people use it when they're not mobile at all. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, we're using our smartphones at our couch um, and, you know, in our offices and stuff like that. When we're connected to Wi-Fi, um, you know, the the strains on the cellular network are obviously greater at certain times of day and certain, you know, periods and that sort of thing. So that also lends itself well, I think, to the you know, to the operators wanting to um, use machine learning to, you know, gradually uh, manage the network and, right. and, and, and maybe detect, uh, th- this is so interesting to me because of, uh, oh, Kelsey, get ready. I'm going to, I'm going to try to ask another question, but I don't know what the actual question is. I'm just going to say some things and then you I'll turn just into a question. Say, you know, sounds like. Let's see. Yeah. Syllables. I mean, you never know. <laughs> Let's just try. Just act it out. Um, but, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> after oh, wait, we're on a podcast. The lock. <laughs> oh yeah, no. After the uh, the the you know the lockdown period, it it was stunning to me like how quickly uh, people's habits changed. Oh yeah. And then it was also stunning to me when things opened back up, how um, how it became kind of fragmented. Some people just kind of held on to their uh, you know lockdown habits and just stayed in that zone. Other people were like, oh, free at last. Now I can go back to the office and sit in my gray cubicle and talk at the water cooler or whatever. <laughs> Who they said do. that? And, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So, somebody did. Um, but but so so it, it seems, you know, I'm kind of making your argument for you, but it's, uh, again, uh, still not sure what the question is, but there's, there's this interesting sort of, uh, uh, you know, just just life in general over the last two years has, has shown us some really interesting pattern changes in mobile users um, that we could not have possibly anticipated. So it almost seems like um, just our behavior alone in the last couple of years would be a selling point for an operator because it's like, hey, you may think you know what your users are doing, but but can you really? And then what happens when suddenly they've got a lifestyle change of some sort? 
and they're you know moving around in a different way. Yeah, I, I think yeah, absolutely. I think the point that the, uh, that you're uh, making is wouldn't it be nice if our base stations, which is basically the what's in uh, all of our communities, right, could learn how the environment around them is changing. That environment is composed of one. What are the users on that network doing? You 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 alluded to that. Two. Um, what is the traffic patterns, uh, building constructions, et cetera? Uh, that's always changing. That changes reflections right. and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. Three, seasonality, right? Trees and so on, right? Those are the three components. And then the, the biggest change, of course, is the users, right? And what they're doing and where they're doing it, both of those, right? Where is the mobility aspect of it, which you alluded to? The what is, are they doing video? Are they playing a game? Are they simply doing a voice call, Right. All three of those can actually be fingerprinted using machine learning, right? And there's no reason those things can't be fingerprinted. In fact, two of those, uh, fingerprinting the user and fingerprinting the uh, network, not quite fingerprinting the application, but fingerprinting the user and fingerprinting the network, we actually have already done that. And we actually have done that in our X app. Um, we, we started talking about the R app, which is the energy one. But we have actually done that in our X app. And that's what we demonstrated also at MWC together with uh, VMware. And the beauty of what we've been able to do that is once we're able to fingerprint the user and the network, we're actually able to predict the network environment with a very high degree of fidelity. And because we can predict the environment, right, we're actually able to uh, structure the beams, the antennas, much more efficiently, right? And that's where we get the spectral efficiency. We actually showed that we're able to improve throughput by as much as two and a half times uh, using our X app. That's, that was the demo that we had done at, at VMware. So your point is exactly right. And a, a larger question I would have asked uh, you know, uh, of the industry at large is, why isn't this being done already? Because the mm. techniques and the technologies to be able to have your base station learn and evolve with its, uh, as its environment changes, those techniques are there. So why aren't they doing it, right? It should be done because you can actually make the. It is the only way I will argue to make the networks a lot more efficient um, if these things actually keep up with the uh, changes that are going on around them. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's. It, it, it seems like we're in for more. You know, kind of um, sh- sort of societal changes in terms of how how we connect, how often we connect. Uh, you know, where we stay, where we go, and that sort of thing. And then when you layer on top of it other externalities like more and more extreme weather and stuff like that it seems like you know what what you would previously have guessed you know your network to be and 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 you can kind of set it and forget it i guess yeah. those days are certainly uh behind us um so how about that I, I, I got through a whole lot without a question and it still worked out thanks for uh, for helping helping me along there <laughs> sure thing <laughs> when is my boss going to figure out i'm terrible at podcasting i have no idea don't tell him, Kelsey. Um, I'll take it to the grave. <laughs> okay, one more one more question from Kelsey, or I can ask something about open because I did I, I did kind of seize on that uh, as a. Um, yeah, a, no, go ahead, Phil. Okay, well, it was just it was just the idea of uh, so you made you made it a point earlier to say that none of this would be possible or the that that open you feel like open ran is kind of unlocking innovation in the in the industry. I think that's a. a uh, a fair thing to say because even if even if giant service providers aren't chucking everything out and installing open RAN networks, what is happening even at the uh, uh, 
uh, incumbent equipment vendors is they're creating open RAN compliant uh, gear now. And so now at least when they're, you know, because they, they've increased their sales chances in all vectors by, (laughs) by making sure that, Hey, if you don't want to buy the complete kit, you can at least buy this one thing and, you know, and add it in here. Correct. Um, Is, is, uh, are, are your chances of making your way into a network improved by, you know, by it being an open RAN network? Or is that just simply, uh, were you just simply observing a, uh, uh, a, you know, kind of the structural change of the industry and kind of the, the speed of innovation in that one part? I, I, I guess I kind of was confused about whether you were making an observation at first or whether you were sort of advocating that, hey, if more people would go open RAN, we could do some better things here. I was actually doing both, Phil. Uh, I was both making an observation as well as advocating. Um, so you're a we, good podcaster. I'm, I'm not, but but go ahead. Well, that was a great straight question, <laughs> a great lead-in question. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, um, we we do uh, that. That was both. I was making an observation as well as a, a as an advocacy point, right? Um, if if the history of technology has taught us anything, going back over the last forty years, right? What it has taught us is standards beget innovation, right? Uh, Standards accelerate innovation, right? Oftentimes it's thought of as standards actually commoditize um, and um, the technology innovators, right? And that actually has not borne itself out by the facts on the ground, right? And whether you look at the x86 ecosystem and Microsoft ecosystem, or whether you look at the Linux ecosystem uh, using those two, or whether you look at the cell phone infrastructure ecosystem, right? Um, the where we are today with 4G, 5G, we wouldn't be there without the standards bodies uh, uh, promulgating the various uh, interfaces that they've standardized, right? Open RAN is an evolution on that into the RAN infrastructure. And I absolutely am convinced that it will accelerate innovation, right? And there are layers at which those that innovation is going to uh, get accelerated. Some layers, it's going to be much faster some layers, it'll happen, but it'll take a little longer, right? So, for example, layer one of the RAN stack, uh, that's where XAPs typically are uh, making the biggest impact, right? That is going to take a little bit of time for it to kind of get the same kind of acceleration as, say, maybe on layer four or five, the application layer of the RAN stack, which is where an RAP would sit, right? But in both cases, right, um, the um, I'm going to throw another acronym at you. Um, the telecom infrastructure project, the TIP organization, yeah. right, uh, which has a whole bunch of operators there, and they have working groups, right? TIP has one of the working groups, which is the RAN Intelligence and op, uh, Acce- uh, Automation uh, Working Group, which is where the RIC was born out of. RIC basically is the RAN Intelligent Controller, and I simplistically think of the RIC as an operating system for the RAN, right? And an operating system is only useful if you have applications sitting on top of it, right? And those applications are RApps and XApps, right? So why is that RIC is important is whether you're an open RAN, uh, uh, whether you're an operator that intends to move to open RAN aggressively, right? Or whether you're an operator that has no intention of moving to open RAN, right? Both camps actually are super excited about the RIC and what opportunities it represents for them because they're interested in the application that reside on top of that, right? So- right. From our standpoint, as a startup that lives and dies by innovation, right, that RIC is super important. And there are several industry heavyweights building RICs, VMware, Juniper, Rakuten, 
right. Nokia, right? And they're all seeking apps on top of them. And so we play into that ecosystem, right? Okay. But as the rest of the ecosystem also moves towards open RAN and standardized interfaces, and there was a uh, press release recently from Nokia uh, supporting um, aspects of the open RAN uh, interfaces, right? There's opportunity for innovation at other layers of the RAN stack as well. So I'm both advocating uh, open RAN as a mechanism for innovation. I'm also making an observation that I do believe this will happen. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, thanks for uh, for explaining kind of your position there, and also kind of the 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 position of the industry and sort of where you know where it's clear that a lot of people are uh, looking for uh, you know innovation because I, I I think that's that's certainly important too. Whether we get you know hung up on the the, the larger uh, question of uh, which network approach is going to win out or who's adopting what when. The yeah. bigger point that you make is that they're all interested in having applications, more applications in their network at some level so they can both provide better services, open up new revenue streams, save energy, save a ton of money, et cetera. I mean, for the, and the need for innovation is huge, right? This is an industry that if you simply take it from the standpoint of connections, right? What we have been able to do as an industry so far, so far is connect people to people, right? What's coming next is connecting things to things and things to people. And there are way more things than there are people. So today, the number of cellular connections on the planet are on the order of billions of connections, right? Tomorrow, the number of connections on the planet are going to be in trillions, right? And if you think cost per bit is expensive today from an efficiency standpoint, it's, it's going to look like a picnic in comparison to cost per bit that you have to get to when you have trillion connections, right? And the only way to get to solve that problem, which is both a technology problem as well as an economic problem, the only way to solve that is through innovation. You can't simply push the cost down and get the cost a bit down, right? You have to attack it with innovation. And so our approach to that is we think by applying machine learning, we can deliver fundamental gains. We're showing that at both the RAP level as well as at the XAP level. And at the XAP level, we're able to improve the uh, cost per bit quite dramatically. That's why we're able to get greater than a two and a half X spectral efficiency. And we think there's more to be gained there. That's just where we are today. And the beauty of machine learning is it's inherently future-proof, right? It's, it's modeling reality using the actual data that is reality, right? And so when reality changes, right? The modeling is going to change with it because we are actually using the data to model that reality, right? So it's inherently much more future-proof than using a canonical model-based uh, algorithm. Yeah, and uh, future-proof is also on our uh, podcast bingo card for anyone listening. It is, yeah. That's <laughs> one of our favorites. <laughs> Anand, thanks so much for. I did not know that. Yeah, okay. yeah. There you go. Got two of them. Um, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's, it's been a real pleasure. This has been um, extremely interesting. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Pleasure.